Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All right, right there means it's Friday morning, and we're talking with Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun. Good morning, Vaughn. Good morning, Simi. Unfortunately, some traditions in this province are still respected, not least beginning on Friday with the village people. That's right. We would never let people down with that village people <laughs> song. And plus, we get to hear from you. That's a great tradition that we have, too, because we're going to talk hey, about... the village people. Come on. I know where the Vaughan, listener is going to vote if it's people. a free vote on that. <laughs> oh, no, Vaughn. It's all about you, of course. We want to hear about your thoughts on the BC United housing plan. Yeah, so this doesn't happen very often because, uh, you know, government has control of the agenda and gets to do what it says it's going to do. And the opposition is kind of usually out there saying, well, here's what we think is wrong with it. You don't very often get the opposition getting ahead of the government on something, but it happened this week. So uh, the New Democrats, David Eby, have been talking for some time about a rent to own plan to help first time homebuyers get into actually owning houses or places, townhouses, condos. Uh, they've only been talking about it, and they did their big housing plan this week, BC Build, and they said, no, no, we're still working on that one. So uh, Thursday, uh, Kevin Falcon and BC United announced they're going to do it, and they explained how it would happen. So it's a fairly innovative idea, rent to own. And the essence of it is this, the big challenge getting your first place is the down payment because places are so expensive. You know, might qualify if you're both working for a mortgage or even one of you is working for a mortgage, but you got to do the down payment. Rent to own is essentially a government-backed way to give you the down payment. You buy your place you get your mortgage, the down payment is covered by rent. You pay rent on the place for three years. And at the end of the three years, you've paid enough rent that that translates into your down payment and you move to becoming a homeowner. You still got a big mortgage, but lots of people face that. But the government is essentially backed your down payment. Uh, this is uh, the, the Falcon announcement. Obviously, we'd have to become premier to do it, but that's how it would work, and that's how a rent-to-own scheme works. There's two or three other things that BC United would do. They would waive the big property transfer tax for first-time buyers. You don't, you don't have to, on top of everything else, pay the provincial government like twenty thousand dollars in in property transfer taxes which most people end up having to roll into their mortgage. And the other thing is the government will make partnerships with developers that are actually building housing projects to set aside 15% of the units for first-time buyers only under this scheme. And the government would also waive the provincial sales tax on the cost of building the housing 
so that there's another incentive to get going and start building stuff. So uh, it's fairly innovative. I was quite struck at how rare it is, Sammy, for the government to be talking about something and the opposition actually to get there ahead of them. So I think on this one, uh, it sounds like a really good idea. It's such a good idea, Simi, that the New Democrats will probably steal it. That's, <laughs> that's what happens to opposition parties that right. you know actually come up with really good ideas. I'm curious, the rent-to-own one, though, I wonder if another way of looking at that, I was trying to wrap my head around it, how that would work. I guess it's like buying a house with 0% down, with yes. no money down. Yes, and why would the developer allow you to do that. Yeah, that's and my question. This is this is the where the government comes in. Essentially, the government will back up the rent to own plan for three years. So the government will say, you, you bought the house, it's yours, you pay this rent for three years, and at the end of it, you've covered your down payment, and we now transition to you being a standard homeowner with a mortgage. The way the developer can be sure that he or she will see their money is because the government is going to back that part of the plan. If somebody defaults on their rent, the, the homeowner is going to lose their place, right? But the government will be there to step in and guarantee it. The homeowner will effectively sign a contract Agreeing to pay the rent for three years, the government will agree that at the end of that three years, your rent constitutes your down payment, but behind it all, there would be an element of provincial government guarantee. Now, you know, Kevin Falcon said, obviously, there needs to be an element of government in this, but he points out that it's not like the government building the housing, having to go through the whole approval process that now goes on with BC Housing, which is cumbersome and bureaucratic. And we know lots of promises have been made about what BC Housing is going to deliver, but it's delivered far fewer units than the NDP has promised. So, you know, I guess we'll see how it works. I haven't looked around to see if anybody else does this this way, but it strikes me as the kind of thing that somebody might say, well, you know, it's rare enough, but it sounds like the opposition has a pretty good idea. And maybe... Uh, David Eby will be asking his housing ministry, where the hell is our plan to do this? Because Eby himself has been saying this is coming, that we are going to have, meaning the provincial government, is going to have a rent-to-own plan too, because this is one of, as you know, Simi, one of the biggest obstacles to getting into the housing yeah. market now is coming up with that down payment because uh, the guarantees are higher than they used to be for that. So it's harder to get together the down payment unless, you know, and uh, Falcon referred to it yesterday. Uh, if you got the bank of mom and dad standing behind you, but not everybody's in that situation. And that's why some people are having an almost impossible time to crack yeah. into the first time buyer market. All right, we're back talking with Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun this morning. Now, Vaughn, you said this is a bit of an odd one, but, you know, there was a time when the public didn't know anything about mandate letters. I'm not sure the public, not everyone in the public actually even knows what these are. No, this is a real outrage too. <laughs> so here's what a mandate letter is. When, the, when a premier appoints cabinet ministers, 
each minister gets a mandate letter. And it's a letter from the premier saying, here's what I expect you to work on and to do, right? And if you've, if you've seen a mandate letter, if you could see a mandate letter, uh, you'd know what the minister's priorities were. If the minister were later fired or replaced or shuffled, you'd know maybe why, where they failed. And you'd also have a pretty good sense of the government's priorities from these letters. And we know all this in British Columbia, CIMI, because mandate letters are public here in BC. And they've been public for 20 years, more than 20 years. Four premiers, Gordon Campbell, Christy Clark, John Horgan, and David Eby, have all made their mandate letters publicly. Uh, they help us understand government priorities. They help call ministers to account. They help the public here in BC judge whether or not the government has fulfilled its priorities, and they're a good thing. They've been disclosed here in British Columbia for, as I say, more than 20 years with no bad effects on the functioning of government, and they've furthered the public interest. And here is what outrage is outrageous about this. So earlier this month, Simi, the Supreme Court of Canada made a ruling about cabinet mandate letters. Premier Doug Ford of Ontario was refusing to release them, and the court ruled that he didn't have to. The high court said, basically, the public isn't entitled to see these things. They might reveal the government agenda. Well, yes, they would. They might reveal the government agenda. That's the idea. That's the whole exactly. idea. But the court, no, no. Yeah, by the way, the Supreme Court of Canada decision on this was written by a former cabinet secretary to the government of Ontario, Mike Harris's government. So this secrecy all woven into public life in Canada and the view that the public isn't entitled to know anything except what we tell them is what's depressing. But here's what's really depressing. The B.C. government went to court and supported Ontario's refusal to release the letters. Really? Now, why would they do that when they do it here? In fact, the B.C. government could have struck a blow for openness by going to the Supreme Court of Canada and saying, you know what, Your Honours, we've been revealing these letters in B.C. for 20 years with no negative effects, and it helps the public understand government, right? They didn't do that. They went to court and argued for secrecy. And, of course, the impact of arguing for secrecy on this kind of thing is that with the high court ruling, Simi, the B.C. government no longer has to release those letters. It can say we're doing it out of the goodness of our heart or our belief in openness and transparency, or they could say, pa, you can't have the letters anymore because the high court has said the public isn't entitled to know these things at all. I find that outrageous and depressing at the same time, but it is an example, Simi, of just how secretive the business of governing is in this country. And I don't understand the secrecy around this because I've always viewed them as a bit of a PR exercise, right? That yeah, sure. An opportunity for the new premier to say, here's what's important to me and to let the public know that. Yeah. I mean, obviously, cabinet meetings are secret. I would assume that's where they actually get their marching orders. Yeah, I think that's true. The cabinet meetings are secret because of the long-standing way that our government works, which is that when the government makes a decision, it's final and everybody stands behind it. And if a minister doesn't agree with that, he or she resigns. 
And so the idea is that when you have a cabinet meeting, they don't actually keep transcripts. Everyone can argue their positions, but at the end of the day, the premier decides and the government decides, and that's the decision. So that's the argument. But to know ahead of time what the agenda is for the government, to have some sense of its priorities, I mean, I can give you an example. Uh, Last month, Premier David Eby appointed Andrew Mercier as a Minister of State for Sustainable Forestry, and he gave, Eby immediately released his mandate letter. And when you read it, the number one job for Mercier is to deal with a huge problem in the forest sector, which is all kinds of small and large operators that can't get their hands on fiber. Uh, you can't run a value-added forest company if you can't get wood for it, pulp mills, everything. That's his priority. So, you know, when we come to the election or as time goes on, we can say, well, how much progress is he making, right? It's, it's you're right, Simi, it's kind of a PR thing. We've made a priority of this. But it also allows the public and the news media and the opposition to go, is this guy delivering the fiber, right? It's a fair question. And, and that's where, you're right, the letters tell you, advertise the government is yeah. on the job. They also allow you to swing around at the end and say, how are they doing, right? You, you can make a comparison between the objectives and results. The Supreme Court of Canada is appalled at the idea. It's right there in the decision. It will give people a sense of the government's agenda and allow them to make comparisons with results. You wouldn't want that happening I don't, in Canada. My God, what is this world come to? I don't understand because you could say the exact same thing about the throne speech. Yeah, sure. No, exactly. I know. It's just part of, well, you know. As I said, it, it's very depressing that we have actually in this province struck a small blow for openness and transparency. Our premiers, four of them now, should be proud that we do that. And instead, David Eby goes through his lawyers to the Supreme Court of Canada and says, well, you know, we actually think a, a, a secretive, a rulingness in favor of secretiveness would be good. Um, you know, he didn't go and say, we've been doing this in BC for 20 years and all this nonsense about yeah. it betraying cabinet confidences or harming good government. We're the laboratory for this practice. And in general, it serves both the public interest and the effectiveness of good government. Vaughn, thank you for that. <laughs> bye bye, Simi. That's Vaughn Palmer there from the Vancouver Sun.